because this is a movie that if you watch multiple times, there's so much you can see. Like I was midwife, really... midwife. That's what I was thinking of. I love when you just leave the podcast for minutes at a time to Google. It's my favorite thing you do. I finally watched. 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 Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of I Finally Watched. I'm Milan. And this is David, and today we are finally watching again children of men um it's december so we're doing movies we've already seen because we want to and that's really that's really the reason why except for christmas day oh yeah that's just because you want to do rocky we're gonna do kiss kiss bang bang too but then christmas day is a monday and that's when we release um i think this might be my favorite dystopian movie i um it's good I remember exactly how I watched this movie. I used to have my computer sitting on my desk right next to my bed and I would watch stuff to go to sleep. I remember I watched like episodes of Scrubs and Futurama porn. I didn't do that to go to sleep. That was like a, (laughs) that was like an aperitif before I started to go to sleep. Um, And I had this on and I started it probably at like two 30 in the morning and I finished it at like four 30 and I just stayed up and I like as I finished it, I then went into the extras and started watching like the making of documentaries on the DVD. And yeah. I watched the whole thing. It's like probably one of the most memorable, like behind the scenes, like footage bullshit that I've watched, like on one of these movies, which you like you now like you look at the extras of movies. You're like, oh, look at that. Look at that. It's like, I don't have time to watch any of that. But I watched this one and like how they did the car scene where uh, spoiler Julianne Moore gets killed. Yeah. Um, how they did like the oneers for like all the different scenes. And it's just like really stuck with me. Um, there was so much more that I picked up this time uh, from this movie. And I think especially after having seen some of Alfonso Cuaron's like other work, like Roma, kind of yeah. like the themes are not the late themes on. in Roma and this are so like together. Absolutely. Uh, like, it, it <laughs> my wife and I also we used to listen to Hamilton and um a lot and then we hadn't for a while because you listen to something too much and just like we were listening to it the other day and like the immigrants get the job done line like it always like sticks out and it's like that's what like this movie's about too kind of um yeah. but it this movie is just like everything about it is so great like there's just so many aspects of it that like the story's great right but then there's just, just so many sections of like B-roll basically where like, you know, someone would just have like a cool shot to like go from one scene to the other. And instead, well, also, he, also well, on, I'm, not, I'm not done, but he uses those shots to like just establish this, like the time that we're living in. Right. Like the like the kind of like the the Gestapo tactics used by the UK in this futuristic society where it's like you're kind of looking at like a like a 1945, 1944, like Germany ripoff of like how they treated people. It, it really reminded me of that um, Orson Welles, like big brothers watching you sort of thing. And yeah. even like if you've seen John Carpenter's They Live, where like the the big signs that once he puts on the glasses, they're like conform, unite, you know, like um but it's not like subliminal here. It's like in your face here. Like the government has completely taken over. And I love how in the beginning of this, it's like Britain is the last standing country that has their shit together. Um, uh, also reminds me like V for Vendetta is the exact same thing. Yes, exactly. It's it's how many of these dystopian movies are being like centered around the Brits. I think two. We've got two right now. <laughs> I don't know. There's probably more, but those are the. There, yeah, there's honestly. a lot more. There's a lot more. Well, also but, they didn't. These both came out. Oh six, right? The um, children of men, yes, and and V for Vendetta. Did, I'm pretty sure came out. It's either late oh five or early oh six, but um, hmm. yeah, that's one of those ones you don't think about. You know, when you have late oh like five. Yeah, your deep impact Armageddon's and stuff like that. Like these two movies are are very different but also what's that just other like, one white house down and olympus uh, has fallen yeah 
Yeah. Olympus has fallen spawned like two sequels too. Um, I don't know this movie, like, you know, you have the, the filmmaking aspect of it, which is obviously like phenomenal. And just like, it's one of those things that's showy, but also just like so impressive. And like, it doesn't distract from the movie. It adds to it. It yeah. makes you feel as if you're a part of it. The like, you know, the Al- Alfonso, Alfonso Cuarón also did Prisoner of Azkaban, which is which is kind of funny because it's about like repression and 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 um, like unjustified um, I- imprisonment and stuff like that. And what he did too is like if you watch the Harry Potter series, uh, Prisoner of Azkaban feels so different from the entire rest of the series. It's also like and the best. It's the best movie of the. Series. It is like one of the, yes, I I agree. But when you look at like when Harry Potter and Ron get on get on the train, or when they are doing those establishing shots of like, um, Azkaban, mm-hmm. it, it does similar to what you're saying. These like establishing shots in this movie, where as it pans to establish where you are, it's also showing like vital information about what society and what the people are like. I know one that sticks with me in children of men is when they show the dead cows, like the burning of the cows in the field. Um, And you don't quite know what that means until you kind of understand like the government and the bombings are kind of framing the rebels and sort of things. So it's like, is the government setting fire to this? Like the, the farmland, uh, the farm animals to like, chokehold the the people to not get like the nutrition that they need so it like it without explaining it all to you and like wording it out it lets you view these images and then let you like create the story in your head right and the movie doesn't come out and say like hey the government's bad the fishes are bad everyone's bad it just lets you kind of get to that point sort of organically of like yeah. One of the quotes from uh, Quaron is like, he, there were certain things he didn't want to explain in this movie. And he's like, he's like, I hate expository filmmaking. He's like, and, and this movie does Me a and good him, job. Man. Me and him. It does a good job. Like just the cows, right? That's such a small thing. But like, it could have just been like those cows were diseased, right? And like, they're keeping the disease out of the, out of, you know, England, out of London. Yeah. They're trying to save their people. Or it could have been, you're right. Like, they're trying to limit the food because they don't they want to starve out the the refugees. Um, and even like the way they treat the refugees is horrible throughout, but you slowly but surely see it get worse until the one image where Miriam gets pulled off the bus at the very end and yeah. they put a black bag over her. And you see like black bags over everyone, and there's this like there's kind of a an homage to like this famous like Abu Ghraib image. But then as you're like passing through, you just see dead bodies and it's like, Oh, they're, they're about to just kill these people. Cause they're like, we don't have enough room. We're, we just have to start murdering people. It's kind of crazy too. And I want to talk extensively more about that scene when we get there, but I think just, let's just kind of get started because when you start out with this and I, I knew it was coming, but I watched it with my wife and, and her sisters. And, um, I, <laughs> when he's in the coffee shop, and you learn of the youngest uh, person in the world that just died because someone murdered him. And another thing, a great theme about this too, is like everyone's downfall, like humanity's downfall, society's downfall. It's all caused by the people who it affects. Um, So like the youngest person in the world dies, not by any natural circumstance, but is murdered. But the murder isn't, like broadcast it's just the fact that he died and i think that's like the whole theme of the movie is like none of these people blame themselves for what has happened they like to blame like an like a third external force god or whatever what well, and also you know the movie doesn't go into great detail about like these other forces that are like killing people right you know we get the fact that there was like a flu pandemic that took the main character's son um but it kind of feels like for most of the movie, it's like something's bad has happened, which is people are unable to have children anymore and it's caused society to crumble. Right. And yeah. it's, so it's not caused by really anything or it's not caused by like one group of people that need to be attacked. It's not like we need to go after the Polish or something. Right. It's like, this is a thing that has happened to everyone. There really isn't someone to blame 
but and it yet, just cause it causes anarchy and, and causes people to kill each other. One of the great things about this film too is that there there's a secret pregnant woman at the center of all of this, and she has a child, and the child is to be kept secret, and she's be to be kept secret because they believe, or at least like a faction believes, that if it gets out. It'll cause more anarchy and more craziness and, and everything like that. And and we'll talk about that when that, you know, towards the end of the movie. But spoiler alert, it doesn't, right? It like creates a moment of peace for a second. And I think that's just interesting how, why, why would they think it? They think that anything that goes against the status quo would immediately result in some sort of like war or violence. You know what all of these movies make me think now where like it shows like something like this happening and people freak out and it causes society to collapse. It makes me think about like all the recent revelations of like UFOs where the government's like, yeah, we don't even know what this is. And like videos being released and things like that. My brother is super into all of this and people just don't give a shit. Yeah. yeah no yeah, yeah. one, no one cares. And it feels like obviously children stop being born is bigger than that but it, it does make me wonder if like people like you know people are adaptive and are just like oh whatever aliens you know well, well, we're not having i mean kids i know anymore. <laughs> this is this is a bigger controversy than aliens but with the 2020 pandemic when everyone was like yeah you can't go outside anymore you can't be like that you obviously have a faction of people who are like that's ridiculous go fuck yourself but then you have another faction of people who are like yeah okay like, so it's like, what can society get used to? It's like, it's like a litmus test of like, what's your compliancy to like being told what to do? Where, where, like, where do you draw the line? I think there's also like a ton of other like psychological issues at play of like people wanting to be seen as doing what's right and other people being not wanting being told what to do and things like that. Um, so let's get back to this though. I, the way that it reveals that like it's talking about this guy who died, this famous person, and you're like, he's the youngest person in the world at 18 years. It's just such a cool way if you go in blind to be like, oh, shit, we haven't had kids in over 18 years. Yeah. And then one thing that I liked, too, is I was like doing the math on this. I had to rewind. So they, they said his exact age. It was like 18, 18 years, four months, 20 days. And then they said now a woman is the youngest person. She was 18 years, five months, 11 days. So it's three weeks, give or take, right? And so it's like, you know, there's a person born like every second or two. So like three weeks in between, you know, it's like how many people weren't born. Well, another really good example of that is when they end up in the rundown school towards yeah, the Miriam, end of the movie. I, I, just, Miriam, I was about to bring this up. Yeah. Yeah. Miriam explains like she's a wet nurse, right? Or she was before all of this. And so she like saw it happen firsthand where she had like, 19 20 babies in the nursery at once and then three or four and then weeks went by before they had one so she saw it like firsthand diminish i think that's a that's another cool thing about this movie is like and like he said he doesn't like explanatory filmmaking but the way you can explain something bit by bit and piece by piece throughout the entirety of the movie before you get the full picture i think that's a cool way of doing it you use do you know what a wet nurse is A um, they breastfeed other they breastfeed other women's babies. A woman maybe. employed to suckle another woman's child. Maybe maybe she did you that. Just, on the side. You just use that term willy nilly. Well, I, what I I guess I was I, talking about like a, a um fucking just say, just say nurse nurse. Well, <laughs> no, what it's I, a specific nurse for the. Oh my god, it's gonna kill me now. What what do you do when you have a, a doula? baby? <laughs> no, ah, oh, fuck it. Whatever. It'll a come doula. So. What I loved about the part Miriam said is how like, oh, she just noticed the babies weren't coming. Then she called a cousin. Then they called someone in Australia. And like the way that I was thinking about that throughout the movie, like how would we realize that this was becoming an issue? And it's like the people that work in there like, oh, yeah, there's like less babies right now. What's going on? And it's like the realization that society had to go through of figuring out like, hey, we're not having babies. Oh, there's a ton of miscarriages. Oh, the part where she was like, we were able to save some of these babies, right? Like. Yeah. What we had to do, we had to like get them out early because uh, it's just it was, I don't know, highly interesting that that aspect of it and just the fact that it wasn't spoon fed to you, you had to like really gleam it from this movie because this is a movie that if you watch multiple times, there's so much you can see. Like I was midwife, really... midwife, 
That's what I was thinking of. I love when you just leave the podcast for minutes at a time to Google. It's my favorite thing you do. But if you go to the scene where you first meet Michael Caine, and then there's this like camera that sweeps over these newspapers, and there's like so much information in that that you could get. Um, This is the first time I realized that like the last newspaper on there is talking about his wife, Michael Caine's wife in the movie being tortured. That's why she doesn't talk. That's why she's in a wheelchair. Oh, I miss that. MI5 tortured her because she was questioning the torture and like uh, detainees, you know, people being detained. She started questioning that. And so they took her and tortured her. Interesting. Um, It's just like so much little stuff. You don't in the what's great about it is you don't need to know any of that. It just adds no. to it. I the only thing that you really are supposed to pick up from like that scan of the newspapers in Michael Caine's house is that Clive Owen and Julianne Moore were married. They're a couple, and they had a kid. The other the, there's another interesting thing too, and we'll get, we'll just get back to doing this in order. But I think this is important now. So one of the fish guys named Ian, I think he's. Um, I was going to guess his nationality, but that seems like a a weird thing to do. Anyway. Yeah. He's a darker man, uh, Southeast Asian. But anyway, oh my god, keep going. <laughs> so at one, like the fish eventually find Michael Caine's compound after Clive Owen escapes, and it's kind of a like, oh, how would they know that? But apparently, the guy that plays Ian is behind Clive Owen on the train when he goes out and meets Michael Caine and goes to the house. So they were following him. Uh, well, from the actually, beginning the, of the movie, the white guy with dreads said that they've been following him too. Right. Patrick. Yeah. Charlie Hunnam. Did you know that was Charlie Hunnam? That's Charlie Hunnam? Yes. <laughs> oh, that's fucking insane. Yeah, yeah. Well, cuz you never see his face really up close and then the dreads hide it too. Also Miriam having dreads too. I thought was fun, like a nice touch. When, yeah, I think yeah. When he walks out of the coffee shop and you see like these three-wheeled motorized rickshaws and just like yeah. I don't know. The futuristic, it like looked futuristic, but almost looked like steampunkish and just, I don't know. I loved it's, the design of everything. The way it's done is so smart because it's not that far into the future. It's right. uh, it's 20 years into the future from like the time that we, um, this movie came out in 21 years. Uh, so it takes place in 2027, which is not far from us at all. But it's almost like we kind of have that. Like we kind of have the weird motorized vehicles and and like the TV screens everywhere, but not to like the dystopian extent of it. When he goes gets the coffee, a line that I missed earlier, like when I watched this a long time ago that I really appreciate now is when I think it was Michael Caine who says, glad you're not a uh, cream and sugar type of guy. Mm hmm. Um. And he means like if he lasted even like a second longer in that coffee shop, he also would have been caught in the explosion. And I just think like instead of saying, man, I'm glad you weren't in there a second longer because losing you would be really sad. Like the dialogue in this movie is also just really clever. Um, Yeah, I mean, this movie is just a brilliant take on like um, like writing and plot wise, like storytelling. I want to get into like how this movie fucking ends. It's so beautiful, but even every step of the way it's like it amazes me with just like the simplest form of dialogue but i knew this scene was coming because i've said because i it's probably one of the most famous scenes in this movie it's the coffee shop blowing up with him like being right outside it and so i was i was starting to turn down the volume because it it was already really high so i was starting to turn down the volume and my wife was like why are you turning down the volume i was like "Eh, just wait (laughs) Just, (laughs) just wait a second yeah yeah um that explosion happens. We have the ringing in the ears, which Julian Moore explains later. Like, oh, that's, you know, you should enjoy that because it's the last time you'll ever hear that frequency. And then you have the ringing in the ear at the end of the movie when like Is the, that true? You know, I thought it was, but now I realize it's, I mean, I think it is, but this is the only, this is why I know that. I, I mean, I trust Quaron to not be feeding us bullshit, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right, you're right. So Clive Owen goes to work. He works at the Ministry of Energy, which is actually like a, an homage type thing to like 1984, like the ministries that, that run everything. Well, also um, Harry Potter is the Ministry of Magic, which you end up being. I don't know why I'm such a Harry Potter fan in this episode, but um, but that, <laughs> that also ends up being like an oppressive uh, government state, too. It does. <laughs> it, it does. So uh, everyone's crying at work except Clive. 
and then he just is like i've really been affected by baby diego's you know can i go home and work and bosch just looks at him like what the fuck is wrong with you um and really he could have been like oh i almost died an hour ago (laughs) getting my coffee so can i go home because of that um so you know he's taking a train out we see the refugees being held in cages you know and like I said, the V for Vendetta everywhere is shit. But England, you know, we get these news broadcasts while he's riding on the train. He goes to uh, Michael Caine, who's a hippie that calls everyone amigo. Um, definitely a lot of pot use, which is not hidden from us. Um, I love his line of like, you know, I couldn't lose you and baby Diego in the same day. And he's like, baby Diego, that guy's a wanker. And Michael Caine's line of like, yes, but he's the youngest wanker in the world is like so fucking good. Yeah. You know, it's so funny because I feel like sometimes when you watch something, the cultural impact around you, like you notice more things about the movie you watched. And so I was on Twitter this morning or last night, and I haven't seen this movie in like years, but someone was asking like, what's the movie death that like still scars you today that you've seen? And someone posted Michael Caine in Children of Men. And I was like, yeah, that's a hard one. Yeah, well, we can talk about it now. Michael King goes down like a fucking G. First of yeah, all, he does make make sure his wife and dog don't feel any pain. Whatever goes out there, does the pull my finger bit to these guys. I th- I'm pretty sure he gets his finger shot off he and does. fucking throws the finger at him. Oh, he throws he his throws finger, finger at Luke as a fuck you, and then gets shot again after throwing the finger. And then the other hand says, "Pull my finger again," and they kill him. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. crazy. It's nuts. I, um, ma- uh, I imagine he probably took some pharmaceuticals so he didn't feel as much pain. <laughs> that's that's why he could throw his finger at him. Uh, the other crazy thing is, is that when he goes in there and you see his wife and him and his dog all asleep and you think maybe he already killed himself or maybe they already got him. Right. Um, but they're all OK. That's like <laughs> it's like a fuck you, man. Oh, he fucking scared me. So there's um there's these advertisements throughout the movie for a drug called Quietus. Oh, and they sort of allude to this. I I barely noticed it too, but it's a suicide pill. Like the government is promoting through commercials suicide pills. That's insane. And so Michael Michael Caine even mentions this. He's like, you know, they'll give out suicide pills and antidepressants, but weed is still illegal in this country. I thought he was being like like exaggerative about it but i guess not no it's like hey we have too many people so if you guys are depressed and like well you know you can kill yourself if you want no it kind of makes sense that they wouldn't legalize weed because weed would like relieve your anxiety and make you a happier person i mean you know for the most part but like nah don't do that like don't feel that just just die you know yeah it reminds me like the futurama has the the suicide machines on like different corners um and then they talk about the human project. What I, you know, Clive Owen is so, like the the arc he has in this movie is pretty great. It's so great. He's like such a cynical person in the beginning of this. He doesn't give a shit about anything. He's just like. He smokes and he drinks. and He's biding his time through life, right? He's just like day by day, like going through, doesn't care about anyone. I guess needs money because he's a government worker. So like he's not making that much. Well, what he does is kind of unclear. It's like it's almost like when he was with Julianne Moore, they were like investigative reporters slash like. Activists. Activists. And then. When his son died, they split up and he just became like a fluff piece journalist. Is that what he did? Is? No, I mean, he works for the, as I said, he works for the Ministry of Energy. I guess that's the building he walks in. So I, I don't know. He just probably like fucking does data entry or some bullshit. He doesn't make a lot of money. We don't really see it either. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then we see him go back to London and he's just sort of walking around, you know, once again, like the london in this movie is just so brilliantly like done like and this is when he gets pulled into the van it you know what's in this movie is a lot of like secret cgi like buildings and screens and stuff like like everything that he's walking into that scene everything in the forefront like the staircase is real but then everything in the background is totally made up and but the way it's done it's not like obvious it's subtle well, the baby at the end, I was like, uh, that's... But, 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 we'll talk about that later. But no, yeah. no, no, let's just do it now. How, like, 
I was like, obviously that's a CGI baby, but I was like, it looks pretty like decent. It's a full CGI baby, and I know back in 2006, it was like a, C- a Marvel. Like, it looked amazing back then. It still looks good now, but it's obvious now. I feel like back then, people thought it was a real baby. And it's like, how would you get that small of a baby on a set, you know? Yeah, no, people were probably like, what the fuck are you doing with a baby? <laughs> like, that baby's yeah. still covered in goo. Yeah. Um. So... Oh, but when he pulls it out of her, and you see, like, the placenta come out too like you see the 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 liquid and everything come out like it man the way the way they did that with the the cgi it, it's so good well that was actually i think a little bit more practical what they it, did is it, they, it was a mix it was a mix of cgi are you being funny no no so they had her <laughs> they had a fake bottom of her and they pulled a doll baby out and then they digitally erased it and replaced it with a baby Oh, okay yeah Okay, so it was a bit of practical and, and CGI, but it was so good. That was really her vagina that, was, that they yeah. pulled that baby out of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I love when she's like, uh, we first meet Julian Moore. She's like, Theo, it's me, Julian. And he's like, and I guess, so it's been like 20 years since they've seen each other, right? But he's like looking at her and you're like, oh, I guess, does he not know who she is? She's like, yeah, of course, I fought, you were my wife. We had a kid together. But he's like, you scared the shit out of me. Like, what are you doing? Um... And then he talks about like the bomb. She's like, we don't bomb. And he's like, what about fucking Liverpool? She's like, okay, well, we don't bomb anymore. We, <laughs> we've decided not to bomb. And that's, it's interesting. Cause she's the leader of this group. And she's like, we don't bomb anymore. But as you find out through the rest of the movie, everyone else would still be willing to do, to bomb. Oh, like, they yeah, would do yeah, bombs. Yeah. Well, another thing is too, is like when he opens up, there's that great set piece of like the newspaper covered, um, like ticket booth or whatever they're in because they're yeah. in like an abandoned train station which you later find out when they leave and you know this movie's budget was only like something like 76 million dollars only i mean that's not a lot for for kind know, of I, how I big this movie is that's not that much but it, it made not even that back which is kind of sad thinking about and it's like it has like a 98 percent on rotten tomatoes so it's kind of crazy how bad this movie did in the box office because it's not like one of those movies that's like kind of slow this is a fast paced for the most part like action movie and definitely to do that towards the end yeah to do that bad in the box office just kind of surprising so she tells them hey we need transit papers for a girl they haven't don't give any explanation why um and he says he can't do it and she's like well we can give you 5k and he's like, what? I don't need money. And she's like, we know that you need money. Um, and I think this is a cool bit of foreshadowing. They take him and drop him off and they throw coins at him for like a bus or whatever to get back home because they drop him off in a different spot. And you know he needs the money because he starts picking up the coins. Yeah. And so you also know because of that, he's going to do this because it's $5,000. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good. One of my favorite like subtle little scenes in this is him driving through the poorer areas of like central London to then like the posh areas to then this like I guess it's the arc of art that his cousin or whatever is like doing. And like the first time you meet his cousin who's played by Danny Houston. Do you know what movie we've done of Danny Houston's? I, I recognize him from the Wonder Woman movie. But what else have we? 30 Days of Night. Oh, that's right. He's the main vampire guy. Yeah. Also, his son, I guess his son is like the one with the like the computer hand that doesn't talk. That he's from Gossip Girl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I recognized him from that. I've I've not watched Gossip Girl. Um, but we first see him in front of the statue of David. The actual statue of David? Pro- yeah, I mean, yeah, probably for the movie. That's where that's where like 20 million of the budget went was to rent it. Um, and then he's like, yeah, and we it's tried missing- to it's missing a leg. Sorry. Yeah, I read something about how there was like a they it wasn't originally, but there was this article where they're talking about like art and they took out the leg for commentary purposes. And they're like, oh, that's a good idea. And they did it in this movie. Um, But, then you know, he's talking about, oh, there's some Goyas that we got from Madrid, but we missed out on these. And he's like, just Madrid. What a what a clusterfuck. So this this dude's job is just to go around kind of like England's been doing for centuries is to go like steal art from other people to make sure they save it. Yeah. Um, And what's crazy too is like Clive Owen puts up the line. He's like, 
why like why does anyone care like in a hundred years no one's going to be around to appreciate this shit he's like i just try not to think about that (laughs) but it's true and you don't really think think of that too it's like really depressing that the only reason like we keep art and like preserve art is for future generations to like learn about the past and appreciate the past culture and if we know for sure that there's not going to be a future generation then what would be the point of that right so he immediately asks his cousin for papers and he says it's because of a girl he met and the dad and he needs to take the dad to the coast because he's sick which i don't know it's all bullshit obviously and sounds like bullshit um but then when he meets uh luke at the bar who's played by uh chuatel Ejiofor, and i want to yep. say his name correct this time Good because job. an inside man i don't know which one of us fucked it up i was too embarrassed to go back and listen to him but one of us apparently said his name very poorly so um yeah, and he, you can uh, go back and listen to our Inside Man episode to see which one that was. Which came out the same year and starred Chiwetel and Clive, both in it. Oh, yeah. See, I want to talk to you about something. Clive Owen as an actor, I really like him in everything he's done. I right. think sometimes he does like the Jason Statham rap route and he does like like a like a cheap action movie just for a paycheck. Are shoot him up? We talking about shoot I'm him talking up? about shoot him up. I'm talking about well, like for for Jason Statham, I'm talking about um, what's it called? Crash. Crank, but I heard like I liked Crank, Crank and then Crank's actually like a lot of people have uh, said Crank's actually got some stuff behind it. It's not just okay, okay, whatever. But my point is, is that I feel like Clive Owen has had like a major drop off because he was so good in so many things. Uh, he could have been like the next Tom Hardy, if he had a better agent, maybe. Or maybe he just didn't want to do it. I don't know what the like the whole thing with with uh, Clive is, but um, yeah. Or maybe he could have been like a Gerard Butler. But Gerard Butler also has kind of a, had a drop off lately. So I think he's, I mean, I think I you're right that he made a lot of bad decisions. Um, I know he's done some like TV work that I think was pretty good. But yeah, I mean... To me, it started out with the international and duplicity, I think, weren't received very well, which is like right up. So he does Inside Man, Children of Men, back to back, then shoot him up, which I actually like. It's kind of a very stylized action movie. I think Just I've seen a, it. A shoot you have or haven't? I think I have. But then international duplicity, killer elite. I think I've seen those two. My dad was a big Clive Owen guy. Like he used to watch his movies and I used to be little and watch it with him. Too little to quite understand. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I agree with you, the fall off, but I do think he has done some good like TV work that people really like. I don't Oh, the Nick is what I was thinking of. So he should. Oh yeah. The Nick. I heard of that. He should come back. He should go back to movies and be, uh, be, I don't know, be better. Be, <laughs> be so, he just is in a movie called oh oh it's like a i think this is like a t it's a tv miniseries that i think is like a i think it's like a female sherlock holmes type thing a murder at the end of the world which people say is really good but previous to that in 2021 he was an american crime story and he played william jefferson clinton which is (laughs) sounds pretty awesome that is that's true he did play bill clinton in in that um i didn't see it i just i i watched the oj one and i thought it was really good and then i heard that they were coming up with the thing but i lost interest oh and then between the oj and the clinton one they did the um versace one yeah 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 Yeah. uh let's move back so he tells luke chuatel edgy for i'm gonna fucking nail that name every time um luke it's fine that he can only get joint papers, so I'll need some extra money. Um, and then the next day, we see him at like a you know a grounds making bets, right? Like at a track, and this woman like kind of signals to him like, "Hey, you need to come this way." And he has to go settle his bets first. Like you can tell, like this dude is just like gives into all these like addictions, right? Gambling, drinking, smoking, whatever. Um, so then he follows the lady. And he meets up with Julian Moore and you can kind of tell there's still love there. And you're like, for a second, you're like, why did these? I mean, yeah, I get your son, but why did you two, you couldn't make it. And then she's like, you have his eyes. And he's like, how is it so fucking easy for you? And then they start yelling at each other. And you're like, okay, never mind. I get it. It makes sense. 
He's like, it's just like you to walk away from the conversation. And she's like, this is our stop. Yep. And then they get in the car. And I love the first like stuff, like stuff from Key, where she's like, what the fuck are you looking at? And he's like, oh, I guess the pleasure is all mine. And he's like, yeah, you know, if this is going to be uneventful, I'm going to take a nap. And dude, and then when he wakes up, I mean, this is probably the first like big one it's one of my favorite scenes, you know, like from watching the behind the scenes about how they do this, they have just a camera in the car with the windshield that can come off so that the camera can move out. It can pan all the way around and see everyone. It's just like when you see how it was done, it's, it makes the scene like that much more brilliant, Yeah. but it starts so light, right? Like they're shooting the ping pong back and forth into each other's mouth. And she's like, I'll let you know, like no one was ever able to do this with me. I, every time it's so high anxiety because I don't know when they're going to attack. Right. And I'm always thinking that when they shoot the ping pong ball in like her mouth, the bullet's going to fly and like the blood's going to squirt out. I was like, oh, my God. No, the car on fire comes down the hill first, which is like the warning sign. And then when you see all the motorcycle guys come come to the side and they start reversing, pulling in reverse. Yeah, it, it almost feels like I know it's more to it than this, but the camera's on like a lazy Susan and it's just spinning around. Yeah, no, I mean, it's kind of what it feels like, but obviously it's definitely more than that. Um, yeah, I mean, I think Julian Moore's death, too, is kind of a pretty shocking one. It's not really something you expect to happen that way and that quickly. Because they're holding her, and but she's, like, actively dying as they're, like, trying to also escape. Yep. And so as, like, <laughs> there's this one part, after the bike shoots her, the bike comes up and he's holding the gun at Clive Owen for kind of a, a few seconds. And you're like, well, he could just have the shot. But you realize from that angle, key is they in danger. Heat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's why he can't do it, which actually comes up later, too. Um, and when he knocks the bicycle, the bike off, I think it's funny later on how pissed Charlie Hunnam is about that when it's like you you were trying to kill him. Like, why are you so angry that he didn't it's even, die? It's even funnier because Charlie Hunnam's character again then gets hit by that same door <laughs> right. later on. Like the same move took him out twice. Right. So they go to this. Oh, I almost forgot to say this part. So they're the cops drive by and the cops pull them over. And I was like, I don't remember how they get out of this. And then Luke kills like both of them. And you're like, oh, shit. And I think. This is the first time I noticed Chiwetel Ejiofor, how well that character is like developed too, right? Because he's just this kind of quiet second yeah. lead to Julian Moore in this group. And then that scene sort of sets off like, you know, he takes over as the leader. The scene where Charlie Hunnam comes with the biker and he's like, he's like, all right, you know, we'll try and save your cousin. Da, da, da. And then he pulls the gun on him. He's like, if you break protocol again, I'll fucking kill you. What is crazy is that Luke, the character, is a really good actor, too, because he even seems surprised that Julianne Moore was dying next to him. But apparently, as it's revealed, it was all planned. And I like everything that happens in that farm and that like farm farmhouse thing where like he invites him to know that she's pregnant. Right. And like the imagery with like all the cows surrounding her and um, they're being milked. It's like a very like it almost feels like a biblical reference. I just can't tell you which one. It just feels very like um, in the moment. And another thing about this whole movie, the theme of this movie is how all the animals are in this movie interact with Clive Owen's character. It's like they all seem to like him. The dogs like him. The cat's trying to climb up his trousers. Right. Like all these animals are like drawn to him for some reason. And then just the animals that are just in the movie. It's like, um, oh, another thing is they didn't. And I think this is maybe part of it. They didn't know what caused the infertility, right? Yeah. Um, But they're like, maybe it's radiation or stuff. If it was radiation, it would it would affect the animals, too. So it couldn't have been. It had to have been something very like human based. I don't know. I'm not a vet. I wonder, and I'm not trying to get too political here, but I wonder if they set up the whole Clive Owen, Julian Moore's child dying of the flu. If there was some sort of 
vaccine to the flu that caused the infertility? Well, I don't know. Then, like, Coron decided not to get into any of that. Yeah. There's a book you can read. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's true. It is based on a book. I, uh, he, the scene where she shows that he's pregnant and, uh, he's like, holy shit, that's a baby. And then, like, Luke comes in and he's like, holy fuck, that, that's a baby. And he's like, yeah, now you know what is at stake. Um, also, her whole line before about, you know, they cut off the cow's tits. They have eight, but the machines are only four. She's like, why don't they make a machine with eight? Yeah. Which is is partly like that whole thing about how they're maybe they're trying to keep the production of food down to only serve certain people. They're trying to starve out the, the you know, other people. They don't want to make too much food, but I don't know. Um, so they have the meeting where they're trying to like decide what to do. And he's like, you know, key, maybe you should have the baby here. And then Clive just spouts out, make it public. And everyone it just disdains that he's here and that he knows now that they're just like, boo, that's a bad idea. What are you talking about? <laughs> They'll it's take her baby. A, it's actually a brilliant idea. It is. It is right. He, in the moment, feels like an idiot because everyone shoots it down. But when all the people at the end see the baby, everyone just stops because they realize how important this is. Yeah. It's uh, such a good moment. But anyway, so Clive Owen wakes up in the middle of the night. He over he just so happens to wakes up at the proper time when Patrick is coming back on the motorcycle. No, the motorcycle. Like, I think the motorcycle wakes him up because it's so loud. OK, well, e- anyways, Patrick is also very loud and yelly and he wants to kill Clive Owen because apparently when so it's revealed that the whole thing is set up by the fishermen um, or the, the fishes, fish. right? The fishes. They call them fishes, um, but they're set up by the fishes. And that attack that killed Julian Moore was an inside job set up by Luke, who's who's now the head of the. And also there's another faction called the Uprising, which I think Luke is actually head of. So they try to like turn the fishes into uh, the, the Uprising. The Uprising isn't a group. It's like a movement that the fishes want to happen. Oh, uh, OK. Well, whatever. Same thing. Um, and so now Patrick wants to kill Clive Owen because he's. You know, he killed his brother that was on the motorcycle. That his cousin, Julie. my fucking cousin. He was 19. Okay, whatever. Anyways, he hears this and he's like, I got to get the fuck out of here. And because of the conversation he had with Key and how much Julian Moore trusted him, Key trusts him. So he knows he can get Key to come with him without any question. Because Miriam tries to stop it and Key's like, hey, I'm going with him. You can join For if you want. a while, it makes you think whose side Miriam is on, really. She, yeah, but she doesn't trust Theo, but because of what Julian has, one, Julian is like the, what, the Oracle or whatever for the human project. She's the one, she's the mirror. She's the mirror that can talk to the human project. So that's one reason Key trusts her. And two, like, I mean, there's just this rapport that's been built and Key was told by Julian, if anything goes bad, because Julian could kind of sense that it might, this is the person you trust. Like, this is the person you turn to next. And it's a good thing too, because you can't trust Luke. And it's 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 funny too. I get like Julian Moore's death is kind of the inciting incident that turns Clive around. You know what I mean? Losing it's beginning, her. It's beginning to turn him around. He has that moment in the forest where he cries, and then he's. But yeah, no, you're right. Yeah. Um, I I also <laughs> Clive Owen comes in, and it's not like, hey, you're in danger. They're. It's like, hey, they're gonna kill me, bitch. We gotta get out of here. <laughs> It's like all about him. He's not lying at all. He's like, we have to get out of here. They're going to kill me. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I like too. like um, he's going to the car to the car. I thought he was checking which car he could like hotwire, mm-hmm. but he knew which car he could hotwire. What he was doing is he was disabling all the other cars so that they couldn't follow him. Um, and then that reveal where the camera pans and it shows Key and Miriam right behind him. I was like, oh, shit. They're like right there with him. So I they get. Well, I think what's funny is he, I think he was just choosing, he was disabling the cars and then taking the one in front. And then he gets to the one in front and he's like, oh, fuck, this is the one that can't start. It needs a push start. And he's like, ah, shit, I chose the oh, one. Oh, yeah, yeah, Because he couldn't, yeah, that's smart too. Because of course you would want the one that has no cars in, ahead of it, right? Right. Um, so I love when like both of them are push start, but they don't realize that the, he took out like the, the, I think he took out the brake line or the starter, the starter line. And yeah. he, um. It just keeps going down the hill. Charlie Hunnam is next to him. He's like, I got a clean shot. I got a clean shot. As he's saying it, the door flies open, hits him on the head again. Knocks, yeah, it was key. I think it was key that did that. Who hit no, him, no, no, no. I think it was Clyde. I think it was Theo. 
doesn't matter. Well, Key says, get the fuck out of here or something like that as he does it. What's funny is he doesn't shoot. He's like, I have a clean shot. Can I take it? Because just two hours earlier, you know, an hour earlier, 30 minutes earlier, Luke told him, if you fuck up again, I will kill you. Yeah. So before that, like without that, he might have just shot him, which would have been the right thing to do, right? He might have shot him, killed him, and then they could have, you know, gotten the girls or whatever. But he's like, I, I, I don't want to die. I don't want to die at all. Yeah. Um. And then when they finally get the, this scene is su- there's such tension in the scene, even though you figure they have to get away. Right. But um, when it gets down to the end of the hill and then he has to push it to get going and then Miriam sort of takes off a little bit and he's like, stop, we need him to come with us. And then they get away as, uh, you know, Luke is chasing after them in the background. It's, I don't know, it's just such a good scene. So we talk about this a little bit when he gets to Michael Caine's house afterwards and, you know, the the fake out of his whole family's dead. Um, But and we talked about Michael Caine's death and what he did to his, you know, his wife and his dog. But. There's a line from Miriam where they're pulling away. He witnesses his death and Miriam says something like, we have to think of the bigger picture. And. I guess you could take that two ways, but I think the way you're supposed to take it is like Miriam at this point is like, look, there's going to be casualties along this, this trip. I might die. You might die. But the important thing is, is that we got to get her to the human project. Cause that, cause humanity is basically doomed if we don't. Well, and so and- like, you can be sad about Michael Caine's death, but honestly he died for like the greater good. Well, and Michael Caine would agree with that too. Right. He sat, yeah. he knew he was sacrificing himself when he told them, Hey, we're not, we're not bringing her along, you know, you don't need to do that. Um, yeah. Cause he's like, you know, they see Michael King get shot to death and he's like, what's the good in that? Like, you know, like yelling at her first. And she's like, you have to think of the greater good or whatever she says. And yeah. Um, Michael Kane is the one that comes up with the idea. They were, I think they were initially going to go to one place and then like, Oh, well, Brex Hill in two days. And he's like, Oh, amigo, I, I have it. And he talks <laughs> to the guy he sells weed to. Yeah. And, can get them he's like we're gonna break into prison he's like who would have thought of that and then and then key is like bloody brilliant like i love it um and but the whole like the whole plan to break into the prison is really smart and then the weird little guy guard prison guard that sid, My- sid that michael kane is uh friends with um so I, it's also funny that Michael Caine's name is Javier, even though there's like there's no like you look at Michael Caine and there's absolutely no Hispanic Spanish lineage in him. Is that um, why he calls people amigo? I did not know his name was Javier because I just am like, oh, there's Michael Caine. Yeah. Um, I, I before this, I would do like when the alarms go off everywhere and you hear like the very loud music and you can see them kind of breaking in. That whole scene is just I don't know, it's shot so perfectly. It's edited so well together. They have these kind of establishing shots that they use throughout of like Michael Caine's home. It's like the same shot each time from like the same vantage point. And it kind of, I don't know, it's just the whole like set design of his place and the outside of it and how like, I don't know, it's all like beautiful looking, like, but just interesting and just, I don't know, it's a great location. It's so far and removed from the other um set pieces like it's surrounded by nature and it's very like this like cottage core sort of vibe but you have everything else about this movie being very industrial and like urban um and i think that's that's refreshing too you also don't know quite what he's doing you kind of guess that he's gonna kill her and the dog but then when the the rebels come back out of the house and they're like, there's a dead woman in there. They're like, yeah, of course. I thought Michael Caine's like, I got this whole place fucking rigged to blow. He's like, adios, amigo. And then he just like blows up the what whole thing. What if he says, pull thing. my finger. And when he does it, it's just oh, explodes. yeah, that's good. That's yeah, good. That's a, well, you can't have the confrontation of uh, Luke and Patrick in the end then, you know, which is there's a, a line in this that I don't think. I realized because I had the I had the subtitles on this time, but Patrick comes out and he's like, there's a dead woman and a dog. And then he has like a map or something. He's like, they went to they're going to Brex Hill. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Which mm-hmm. is like how you they know where to go after this. Um, so they meet Sid and uh, Michael Caine told him to call Sid a fascist pig as like the password. And Sid gets out. And he's like, what the fuck did you just say to me? And like pulls out his billy club and then just starts laughing. It's like, that's not a good joke. That's not. No one enjoys I, that but you. 
I do want to say real quick that while they're waiting for Sid at this preschool, that's where the conversation where we find out um, Miriam's a midwife that like, you know, saw the um, decline in births. Yeah. Um, So we get to the, the prison and we don't quite know what this is. Like, I did not know that after they got through all the guards and the gates that they would basically be coming upon a city, like a prison city for the right. refugees. Um, but then Sid is like, go meet like an old gypsy woman by the by the statue. And I was like, there's a statue in this prison. But then when you get there, it all makes sense, you know? Well, Brex Hill presumably is just a town that they've cordoned off into the prison, right? I understand that now. Okay, good, good, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, what is interesting, so we already talked about Miriam getting pulled off the bus, the random, the people that were just being killed and black bagged over their head. Oh, yeah, I guess this all leads up to before the, before they get the gypsy. Yeah, because when they get to the gypsy, it's only the two of them. So the meet Marichka. And before this, they had a bunch of people trying to sell them stuff and like, oh, I have a place you can stay. And it's like, yeah. Kind of these people that have like commoditized like, you know, safety in this little area. And it, you know, it shows that there is kind of like some, you know, some bad people in this group have sort of like taken the misery of people and tried to make money off of it. But oh, am I not supposed to be calling her a gypsy? You can apologize. No, it's fine. Okay, I'm sorry. The uh, Romanian woman, probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's speaking. Um, But anyway, this movie definitely in this end part is definitely making the point of like the goodness and importance of immigrants. And like, you know, these are, these are the most helpful people in the entire movie. They see this baby and they don't think we can do something with this. We can make money off of this. We can, you know, there will be a reward or what they're just like, Oh my God, this woman has a baby. This is the first baby. We have to help this woman. And I think that's like, obviously very purposeful in this movie, especially when you consider Coron's other movies. Um, I, I think is interesting is so we, they have the baby, right? We talked about the, the CGI of it. The next day Sid comes back and you're like, why the fuck is Sid here? And then he like pulls out a gun and it's, and he sees the baby and it's revealed. He's like, Sid watched the news and saw there's a lot of money for you. And it's like, oh, so you didn't like Michael Caine that much. You're going to fuck over his people that he, not only that, but he knows that the government's after them and also the fish the fishes are after them and so he's like i can get double rewards you mm-hmm. know right um and then you know Marichka, she had said i guess in her language like you know don't go with this guy you can't trust him and then she beats him with like a leg bone i thought it was a ladle i don't know it's a fucking huge thing that she beats him with like yeah. he shoots all his, his shots off there's this door they have to escape through and Marichka goes first and she takes the baby and then Keith thinks, oh my God, she's stealing my fucking baby. Um, but she but stays. She, she stays, stays right there, helps them through. The shots like through the door as Clive Owen barely escapes and then he picks up a battery as Sid <laughs> sticks his head through and he fucking kills Sid. Yeah, and there's that moment of hesitation and you're like, dude, run, but he's digesting the fact that he just killed someone. Yeah. And this well, is like and- uh, Clive Owen's character is not really like a killer fighter guy, right? He's like a guy who just kind of looks out for himself. So like he just killed someone for the first time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he and- killed that guy. He he shot off the he kicked off the motorcycle, but he didn't really mean to do that. Yeah. Well, that was self-defense. You couldn't get convicted of that. Um, so then they walk through like a, you know, there's a, a Muslim parade. And I think it's also interesting, too. This isn't like. They don't dwell on this, right? But the government obviously, does, everyone kind of agrees that the government is doing these bombings and who they bring it on, either the fishes or, or the Muslims. Um, so they walk through this parade and I think it's a parade for like someone who's died, right? Because there's a body on a door. Um, and then they, Marichka takes them to this guy and the scene where they like, she, like Marichka's like, hey, show, show him the baby, show him the baby. And there's this guy through the window and he sees the baby and they're like, immediately give them a place to stay. The one like soldier dude with the gun is like, I found you a boat. You know, we're leaving in one hour. Um, just like and the, the, the way that the older woman who's like probably Mariska's mother or something, because you you have that vanity that goes through all the photos and you see Mariska like as a young woman on that vanity. So, you know, it's like part of her family or whatever. But 
they're all playing with the baby. Like they haven't played, they haven't seen or played with a baby since like Mariska was a baby probably. Right. Yeah. So, so then they leave and from the point now, obviously there's some digital manipulation to make it seem like one scene, but it is basically a one shot from when they leave that building to when they leave the exploding building where the army like stops to look at the baby is all like one take basically. It's like 1917. I didn't notice it. I, I need to rewatch it in, with like that in mind. And what's interesting too is so the I guess the, stu- the studio was very concerned about the shot because it took like two weeks to plan it out. And basically, if the shot didn't work, it took five hours to reset it up to do it again. Of course. Of course. Well, it also depends like where the shot didn't work, right? Like if you're coming towards the end of it and someone trips, it's like, fuck, dude, got to go all the way back. And at one point, they are filming it and blood spatter splatters on the lens of the camera. Yeah. And apparently at that point, just out of like habit, Coron shouts cut. But the sound of like the gunshots and cannon shots drowned out him saying that. So they just kept going and they filmed the whole thing. And then afterwards, I guess the cinematographer helped like convince him like, hey, you just leave that in. And Coron was Coron was like, I guess, called it like a happy accident. He's like, you know, it was not intended by me. I, almost I thought it was so it. cool. I thought it was so cool because it's like you now feel like you're there with them. Like you have blood splatter on your face, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. And it's just the fact that it just worked out that way is is so great. And it wasn't even so much blood splatter that it like you couldn't see. Right. It was just like just enough to get it what it was. Yeah, and the the cinematographer was Emmanuel Lubetsky, who also has won three Oscars, so he knows what the fuck he's talking about. <laughs> he's like, no, leave it, leave it, please, God. Um, what's so great is it is such a big scene because they come out of that and they start running down the road and then they get captured again by the fishes with Luke. And I like how Luke tells Patrick, like, don't kill them until we get around the corner because I don't want Key seeing, probably not to like stress her out of her pregnancy. She loses the baby. Or no, she already had the baby at this point, right? She did. Yeah, I think he just didn't. He wants it makes things easier if she's not completely antagonistic to them because they don't. They will take that baby from her if need be. Yeah, but it'd be easier if they could have her with the milk and everything. No, exactly. Because I mean, I don't do they could they even make formula right now? They haven't had all the cows. Well, that's not. Yeah. Anyway, um. This scene, I think, is pretty... I was thinking about it today. So as Luke Luke tells him, you know, do them all, kill them, and Patrick just... Patrick shoots this random refugee guy who all he was doing was helping this baby, which is the same thing they wanted to do, right? He had no skin in the game. He didn't know the fishes were after them. None of this, right? He was just helping a woman and a baby. And the fish's whole goal is to make people see the importance of refugees and to treat them like people. And they just execute this refugee that was helping them with the baby. That's that's kind of a beautiful thing, isn't it? Because in that moment, it shows that that's what they say they do, but that's not what they really do. Well, they've lost their way. They're more focused on, they're not focused on the people anymore. They're focused on like their, their idea of like, winning basically right they're like their ideological bent of like this is what we have to do we have to fight the government and they don't even they're not even fighting for the people they were fighting for anymore right because they're all english citizens presumably they don't you know they're only on the run because they're terrorists so it exactly and they're about to shoot marishka and then him but then thank god the fucking government army comes in uh, everyone says it all the time right thank thank the tanks rolled in um yeah and the scene where he like goes through the bus and Patrick tries to shoot him again because Patrick's like, I have to kill this guy. He was saving Clive for last. And that's why Clive gets to live. Um, Mariska gets to live too. She gets away too. Yeah. I mean, Mariska makes it the whole way. Probably. She's probably still alive after Clive Owen. Dude, it's really sad because she puts them on the boat and he's like, no, Mariska, come with us. And she's like, no, because Mariska, fucking MVP of the movie. She knows that they have a better chance of survival with less people. So she stays back with her dog. Way to go. So Theo Clive Owen goes up into the building to find the baby. We get to see Charlie Hunnam killed, which is great. He hears the baby. Luke, Chiwetel Ejiofor, again, 
yeah. has put her right in the line of fire, right Stupid. up against the wall where they're right shooting. Right against the fucking window. Why would... Okay, whatever. So then Theo tries to take her and he points the gun at them. He's like, no, we need him, Theo. We need the baby. And Theo's like, it's a girl. And there's this moment of realization on Luke's face of like, I wasn't even thinking about the baby as a baby anymore. It wasn't a person. It's just yeah. an idea. He couldn't yeah. even... He he. When he finds Key and Theo, he doesn't even ask to see the baby. You know what I mean? No. It's He's like, oh, let me see the baby. No, he doesn't give a shit about this baby. It's like what the baby can do for the cause. And Unlike, even in the end, it, like this realization, he still shoots at Theo when they try to escape. He He's said this whole time, don't shoot in the direction of the baby. And he shoots in the direction of the baby because he's like, I have to win. Like he is like subtly but not even subtly like such an evil character in this movie yeah but he has that like bit of humanity i like we don't get the catharticism and we don't need it either right like we see patrick die and that feels good to us as the audience because patrick's a fucking idiot but we don't see luke die we just know he's dead because he's in the same room that seconds later after clive and the baby leave it absolutely gets exploded to all hell yeah but we don't see him like very personally die um, I do want to talk about Theo's character arc because there's moments that I never noticed until this watch that I think is so, so good, so subtle and just so fucking beautiful. The entire time, Theo, he's out for himself. Clive Owen has a cynical view of the world and he's like, I just need to get from point A to B every day and that's that's just what I'm living for. I lost my son. I lost my wife. Who fucking cares, right? And then Julianne Moore dies and you see a little bit of a turnaround and then Michael Caine dies his only last family right and then he's like I have no reason to live and then it's the baby and the whole movie Theo is smoking and drinking and he gives up those two things his two things that he enjoys most in the world he gives them up for the baby Marishka or one of no the guy who rents them the room would not leave or I think it is might be Marishka would not leave until she got a smoke and he just hands her in his entire pack of cigarettes and then he empties the entire liquor bottle he's been carrying around to desanitize his hands to deliver this baby and now he has given up everything he wants and likes in this world and um he he's now like just his whole thing is i dedicate my life to seeing this through and i think it's like one of the best arcs i've ever seen one of my favorite clive owen lines that we didn't talk about a while back is this is the first baby in 18 years you can't name it froley <laughs> <laughs> I love that what they decide to call the baby. I think it's, I, I was like, of course you have to call the baby that. Um, but then it's revealed that, oh no, it's not revealed yet. Marushka takes them to the boat finally, right? That's what happens. They take them to the boat. They go out there. We finally figure out that Clive Owen has been shot. Yeah. Because originally Keith thinks, oh my God, I'm bleeding. I'm bleeding. He's like, no, it's me. And he's like, I'm fine. Luke shot him. Yeah. And then he passes out. And like for a second, Keith's like, I'm stuck out here with a baby and no one to row this. I'm in the middle of the ocean. You know, they're very far out. When you see the the planes that fly over and drop bombs, like they're miles out. She's like, I don't even like, what would I do if this boat doesn't come and I'm just stuck out here with a baby? Um, but then the boat does show up, right? Like this whole idea of like, it's a, in a movie that's very cynical, this like to, in the end, the human project exists and she's going to be safe. And Clive yeah. Owen is probably dead, but maybe lives, right? I don't know. It's just a very... Oh, he's, oh, he's dead. Okay, that, that's great. I'm glad you're, one, a doctor, but then two were, like, on the boat with him checking his vitals. Um, it's don't more, you it's a, it's do you, a better do you movie not remember, Do you not remember Reservoir Dogs when they said a shot to the gut is the most painful, but you don't die from it right away? You just bleed out for days? It is way more poetic if he dies. I don't... I don't I don't think the movie gives a fuck about your poetry. Like it's unsaid if he lives or dies. <laughs> he lived, damn it. <laughs> um, well, however you want to cut it, 
they name the baby Dylan, which you you know you know that that's him and Julian Moore's dead son's name, and then he gets that information, and then he passes away slash passes out. I like to think he died, um, but yeah, they made it, and that's the end of the movie. And I'm just sitting there like, holy shit. The most incredible thing about this movie is that we talked about it for an hour and five minutes and the whole movie is not that much longer than this. It's like an hour 49. Yeah. 49. Yeah. But it packs in so much like you, like you were talking about even the establishing shots packs in so much information that you just feel like you're sitting through a three hour movie. Not in a bad way, not not like in a time consuming slow way, but like the amount of information and the amount of like what you witness in this movie feels like you've lived a lifetime in there. Yeah. Um, uh, The one thing I didn't talk about, one of the things I read was that the part where they pass like the hooded figures, you know, when they're going through Brex Hill. Oh, yeah. Patrick is in a hood. I think it's just probably like an Easter egg thing, but there's like a guy with like dreads that looks like it's probably Patrick. Oh, how did he get to the to the end scene? Where he you died? know, it's a thing. I, I don't know. Maybe that was his way of sneaking in. But like, huh. if you think about it, like also like a lot of people just had dreads in this futuristic society. I imagine because like, I don't know. It's probably like, yeah. it was just Quite. easier to maintain that way. Like, maybe. you know, life was tough on the road. Um, You know, when I was watching the end of this movie to prepare for this, my wife was like, she's like, I want to watch that movie, but I do not know if I can handle it. And then she like asked me how it ends. And I was like, I was telling her and then I'm watching it as I was cooking breakfast and she kind of comes up behind me and she's watching it, too. And I was like completely like choking up, like, you know, almost had tears coming out. And then she's like, she's like, I haven't even seen this. I haven't been watching this and I'm choking up at this. Like, I have no, you know, I didn't have the buildup of this movie to this end part. And she's like, and this is affecting me. Yeah. But that scene, we didn't really cover it, where he's everyone in the building is looking at the baby. They're yeah. going downstairs. You see the fish, like gorilla fish guys coming up, and they see the baby, and they like are looking at it. And then the army and the guy causes the ceasefire, almost lost it. And then they just walk out the building, and everyone's just staring at the baby. Oh my God. Until a so, few moments pass and they all go right back to fighting again. Yeah, but it, it was because like a bomb exploded for someone who wasn't looking at the baby. <laughs> so, but yeah, they got brought back into like the reality of their situation. This movie is like so masterfully done. Um, it's just amazing. And I'm like, I think this is why we do December so we can cover movies like this that we just both happen to have seen. Exactly. Exactly. And, um, you know, thanks for listening to another episode of I Finally Watched. I'm Alon. And this is David. And we just talked about Children of Men. Just talked about it. Chopped it up. <laughs> <laughs>